Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi there and welcome to the Explaining History podcast and today I'm going to talk a little bit um, about the material conditions for ordinary Soviet citizens uh, between uh, about 1928 and 1933, so really the duration of the first five-year plan, so we will delve back a little further than that. And we'll talk about two main things, um, food shortages and housing shortages and really what those tell us uh, about Stalinism. The, uh, as I've mentioned previously, during the second five-year plan, and as a part of the Stakhanovite movement, there was a, a move towards um, trying to create Soviet consumerism, or trying to create a, um, a kind of a Soviet version of, uh, a state-led version of um, American-style consumerism. And this was something that was quite close to Stalin's high, so this was ultimately a, um, a desirable goal uh, for Soviet society. But the first five-year plan that focused on heavy industry really achieves the opposite and creates uh, immense shortages um, of foodstuffs, of basic household items, um, and of housing. And it's housing that I, I want to talk about first. Um, during the Civil War period, there was a policy of consolidation. This is the policy, really, of moving large numbers of poor uh, working-class families into middle-class houses and apartments in the uh, cities of Russia, places like Moscow and then Leningrad, um, they, there is a great deal of apartment living. This is the, the kind of the um, structure of uh, uh, inner city life for the bourgeoisie uh, of the pre-revolutionary period. And the um, I express ideological uh, reasoning behind consolidation was to bring about an enforced equality to uh, give poor working class families um, accommodation in nicer uh, middle class apartments and really to, uh, you know, the uh, Soviet uh, secret police and the administrators of the policy from uh, the local local municipal authorities 
um, had sort of barely disguised glee at um, humiliating the middle classes, uh, though a great many of them were drawn from the middle classes themselves. And the policy of consolidation was part of you know, Lenin's uh, war on what he viewed as being the internal, uh, internal front. So a policy of degradation uh, gradually of the, the lives and conditions of um, the middle classes in Russia and a, a policy of kind of pro proletarianization of the uh, middle classes, the combination of taking any surplus space from them, cramming large numbers of people into their apartments, many of whom were um, alien to them, their, their manners uh, seemingly rough and crude, um, the uh, property, the oh, it seems an almost universal experience of the bourgeoisie just after the revolution who, ha who are consolidated, that their uh, homes are wrecked, um, that there is uh, cigarette smoke and drinking and um, uh, wild parties and uh, things are broken, the carpets are wrecked, you know, toilets are left in an unspeakable state. And the, there is a, a tacit encouragement uh, to do this uh, by the various organs of the, the Bolsheviks, various writings in uh, papers, uh, revolutionary papers encouraging the uh, uh, proletariat to uh, behave as uh, aggressively and, uh, and, and in a confrontational way to the bourgeoisie, the expropriators as possible. A combination of this and... Uh, forcing many uh, of the middle classes to participate in uh, forced manual labour uh, was part of Lenin's idea to proletarianise the, uh, the middle classes. After 1928, with the, the um, commencement really of the Stalin era and uh, the Cultural Revolution, which is really a prelude to the five-year plans, there's less of an overt ideological motivation for consolidation. Not that um, the Stalin and his contemporaries didn't share similar ideological goals. Of course they did. It's simply that um, the bourgeoisie um, homes have, uh, you know, were consolidated a decade earlier. Um, and that process has um, has really been concluded. The uh, period from 1928 onwards sees a, a massive increase in overcrowding, not because there really are any more bourgeoisie to torment and humiliate. Um, the kind of ideological consolidation uh, was at its height during the 1920s. No, the um, process of uh, the overcrowding of the towns and cities really is firstly the result of the five-year plans as industrialization sucks um, agricultural workers and peasants uh, from the grinding poverty of the countryside into the towns and cities where there appears to be jobs and work, which is a process which is encouraged by the party. The um, party, uh, the, the Soviet government, does very little to provide uh, new housing. This means that the housing stock that exists, some of it occupied by the former bourgeoisie, 
much of it occupied by the uh, the workers, uh, sees uh, an immense pressure put on it by huge influxes of people coming from the countryside and um, rooms having to be found in communal apartments. The Soviet idea of the communal apartment, some of which were now being built, but uh, only really the, the new builds were only really happening in the new cities, places like Magnitogorsk, in many of the um, regular um, the established um, uh, towns and cities um, that had existed for centuries, all that happens is that existing apartments get more and more subdivided. But anyway, the point about um, communal living was that the, the ideological point was that the Soviets believed it would lead to some kind of greater collectivism, that um, ultimately this is another one of the ways uh, that Lenin believed that, you know, um, people would be educated in socialism, they would be taught to share, they'd be taught to uh, abandon this kind of um, fetishism for objects and possessions and uh, taught to um, forget the need for uh, for ownership and focus on more communal uh, communal values. And this is one of the, one of the very kind of almost spiritual notions of um, Soviet communism that you would finally free people from from this uh, oppressive relationship to things. Of course, that doesn't happen at all. In fact, it makes the situation far, far worse um, as you have people crammed into uh, flats where they each individual has um, a couple of square metres to call their own. There is fierce demarcation of territory, as you would imagine. Um, the uh, utensils within kitchens are jealously guarded, and uh, so are foodstuffs. Um, and the uh, there's a, a huge increase in mental illness um, as a result of the uh, these um, the policies of uh, enforced consolidation and and uh, communal living. Uh, people have no privacy. They have to deal with all sorts of social problems that are Im imposed upon them. Um, there's an immense amount of stress all the time. Um, the uh, exacerbating uh, factor in all of this is the role of the state in that um, individuals that are envious of one another, people that are uh, resentful that a certain family has a bigger room, uh, can constantly threaten to denounce them to the state, can constantly threaten to um, inform on them to the secret police and refer to them as counter-revolutionaries and class enemies and these sorts of things and possibly kulaks and all sorts of um, frightening accusations uh, in order to get the, the room off them or in order to settle some kind of petty score. So this is not really the kind of socialist uh, communal harmonious living that Lenin had in mind. In some uh, apartments, there are you know new um, uh, paper thin walls are put in. In others, rooms are simply um, do, uh, simply partitioned by a clothesline and some old sheets. The result of having people forced together cheek by jowl is that there is. Uh, the surveillance state doesn't really need to um, do much work. 
Um, instead of having a surveillance state, you have a surveillance society. So society is spying on itself, and um, its primary relationship is with the state, which is the source of all power and uh, economic output, and therefore it, it makes it easy for, to create a, a society of informers. Um, as far as foodstuffs and uh, essential items go, the five-year plans had presented uh, another dilemma. The um, end, once again, of private trade and private ownership and the resumption of largely war communism-esque um, policies as, um, as, as regards ownership goes um, had resulted in a... Uh... Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Total um, loss of uh, artisans within, uh, within Russian towns and cities. So um, in, the, in the 1920s and you know, prior to the revolution, uh, an enormous percentage of uh, economic output and manufacturing output in Russia had been provided by artisans. These are people not working in large factories, not working on production lines, but craftsmen who um, are able to make bowls and plates and knives and forks and coats and jackets and shoes. Shoes are this immensely sought-after commodity, uh, real gold dust in Stalin's Russia, uh, because there are simply no cobblers. They've either been uh, forced into some kind of forced labour scheme or they have been criminalised in some way as a, a petty bourgeois um, or they have simply just abandoned what they do um, in a bid to avoid the attentions of the state. Government-run food shops have a monopoly on the food supply. Um, the only problem is is that many of them don't manage to supply anything at all. There is a perennial problem, and this is something that is uh, seen all the way up to the end of the Soviet Union, of empty shelves. Uh, the stores that are not 
part of any kind of uh, market market economy and instead receive their cues uh, directly from the state are notoriously uh, badly run and uh, unreliable and the um, conditions that exist for Soviet citizens in that first um, five years uh, five-year plan um, are frequently close to not exactly outright starvation though if you're uh, in the countryside particularly in the Ukraine um, it's absolutely like that but in many of the towns and cities there's constant hunger and the um, period of the first five-year plan in terms of hunger is um, far more acute than most of the 1920s. Uh, there are, um, it, it is one of the, the, the periods of, of most intense uh, economic hardship, particularly regarding food in um, the history of the Soviet Union. Queuing becomes a regular practice uh, under the first five-year plan. There are frequent stories of people starting queuing at 2am um, in the, the small hours so that they can get a couple of loaves of bread when the store opens at 6am. The queues um, see people freeze to death, uh, particularly during uh, Soviet winters, and there are, there's frequent violence um, and uh, explosions of public anger when um, the store opens and those people have been queuing for four hours and there's, there's nothing there. And I think one of the things that's really interesting and really starts to change that view, that common held view uh, of Soviet society that everyone was extraordinarily well behaved because they were too terrified to do anything else. The uh, There are bread riots during the five-year plans and um, constant uh, outpourings of anger and cursing of the Soviet government. And people uh, between 1928 and 1933, at least, uh, have a capacity to do this. Um, it would be interesting, and uh, this will be some further reading on my part, so I'll get back to you on this one, what the situation is like later on at the height of the Great Terror, I'd suspect something quite different. Uh, but at least in that this initial phase, the first five-year plan, um, there is um, plenty of evidence of dissent. And one of the explanations that's come up with um, by um, the Soviet citizenry, uh, particularly the very engaged Soviet citizenry, the, 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 the activists, um, of things like the Komsomol and the Young Pioneers and party members. Uh, but also, not just the citizenry, but the bureaucracy and the leadership. The, there is a constant refrain that they have uh, when food doesn't wind up in the, uh, the stores. The really, uh, this utopia that um, Soviet citizens should be living in, the fact that it hasn't materialised is that somebody somewhere is sabotaging it, that somebody is to blame uh, for things that are constantly going wrong, because that can be the only explanation. Uh, the, the possibility that an economic and political model has been decided upon, which um, is proving to be flawed um, and proving to um, not supply um, material gains in the way that it was predicted, 
this is something that's kind of too dangerous to and too um, like fraught with the possibility of kind of um, individual and um, collective uh, crisis. It's too dangerous to entertain. So the hunt for saboteurs, the hunt for wreckers, is constantly on, and the there are fanciful stories of um, bourgeois and kulak conspiracies to um, uh, destroy foodstuffs. Um, when um, shoddy and unpleasant foodstuffs wind in the stores, such as you know the classic loaf of bread with the rat baked into it, that kind of thing. Um, that this must be the 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 work of of wreckers, and there are um, arrests and trials based upon this, um, much as with the, the five year plans where you have things like the the uh, engineers, um, the bourgeois specialists trial and the Shakti trial, and these kinds of things. And during the first five year plan, it was as a way of um, explaining why the revolution wasn't panning out in the way that it had been uh, had been anticipated. There's, of course, um, one major, major cause for food shortages during the 1930s and during the five-year plans, and that was the fact that um, the Soviet Union was a net grain exporter. The reason for this um, exporting of grain overseas was that it was the only way that Stalin could conceive of of uh, being able to raise enough capital to industrialise Russia. This is how you pay for your factories, your machines and your um, uh, your vehicles. Uh, this is something that Stalin is um, insistent on continuing with even at a time of mass famine in the early 1930s. One of the uh, interesting uh, facets of um, Stalin's uh, food policy, and particularly um, as it pertains to the wider economy, is that of um, vodka. Vodka was seen by the the party as being a very bad thing. It was synonymous with the kind of the the old uh, violent. Um, backward world of the Russian peasantry, something as I've mentioned before that uh, the Bolsheviks have very little time for, and was um, you know obviously quite rightly implicated in um, poor work standards, uh, domestic violence, and and every other vice that um, Soviet society was hopefully going to eliminate, but. One of the things about vodka uh, was its vast uh, tax-raising uh, potential. And the uh, government, uh, with, uh, Stalin, had to concede that uh, trying to um, promote kind of temperance or abstinence from alcohol was something that the Soviet Union could not afford to do. And by the mid-1930s, Vodka is accounting for something like a quarter of all tax revenues in the, the Soviet Union. It is uh, used as a, a means, uh, very much like um, modern uh, governments around the world do, of uh, raising huge sums of revenue. So the, the economic realities of that really do, do tell, us, uh, tell us quite a lot. So what can we conclude from this? Well, I guess the thing that really stands out here is that the, the five-year plans themselves 
have an enormous distorting effect on the economy and on the and on Soviet society. The ability to provide basic foodstuffs um, is undermined because of a um, a restriction or an elimination of basic market trade, which was essential for the five-year plans in order to, to for them to to work, and also a there is um, very little um, consumer production during the first five-year plan because everything is diverted towards the needs of heavy industry. This is the reason why so few houses are built and so many people have to be crammed into so many so many small apartments. is because the Soviet government is building factories, not tower blocks. So the breakneck speed of uh, industrialization, which does happen extremely rapidly and has huge far-reaching consequences for the Soviet Union, this uh, has... Uh, unintended social and economic ramifications for ordinary Soviet people. But Stalin was able really to lift his mind from these things. Um, you know, it's not that he was deliberate in lowering living standards for the majority of Soviet citizens, though I'm sure he was quite happy to do so for the former bourgeoisie and the kulaks. Uh, but the majority of Soviet citizens where he saw his power base residing, he believed that it was his role in point of fact to actually elevate their condition, uh, but was quite uh, quite ambivalent about this when indeed it turns out that he takes the Soviet Union through a, a prolonged period of hardship and poverty. Um, and during the second five-year plan, as I've mentioned previously, when a, consumer economy begins. It's not a reality for most Soviet citizens. It's a reality for a lucky few. Anyway, I hope you found that useful um, and I'll catch you on the next Explaining History podcast. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. The secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu dot com code GLOW.